Mark chapter 13, we're looking at 15 through 27. These verses right here, we're kind of talking about history, uh, of just general history, maybe the uh, first century of the church, and it would probably include 66 to 70 A.D., depending on how you broke the, the, the Jewish wars with Rome. Beginning in verse 14, the abomination that causes desolation, that seems to start pointing towards the end, but when we looked at that in Daniel, we saw it actually applied to uh, the time of the solutions before, but then spoke of the future, because then that could be taking place here in 66 to 70 A.D. There's different times. It could have been the Romans that did the abomination that causes desolation. It could have been the Jews themselves that set something up. Uh, so this verse right here seems to start pointing towards the future, maybe, maybe here. But when we get past verse 15, 16, 17, we get up into these verses up here, we're definitely going to be talking about eschatology. So right here, verse 14, you can be looking back to 70 A.D. You'd be looking forward. I think it applies to both. But once you get over here to the sign of the Son of Man, we're definitely going to be crossing into an eschatological sense. And I think at that point, we've got a it's, it's, it's in mystery form. It kind of, some of it's overlapping, but we're definitely going to take a step over here tonight and start talking about the future events that you really can't explain it as having taken place in the past, like in 66 to 70 AD. Uh, the symbol verse. Uh, there will be the worst times ever, no, no time in history. I mean, it's worse than the flood. It's worse than 70 AD in Jerusalem. I mean, it's got to be something that is yet in the future. So again, that just kind of clears your mind because when you read different authors, and again, nothing wrong with the commentators or the authors if they got a different opinion, but it's one of those things where you can read something that just, it's all preterist, and they make this whole chapter having already been fulfilled in the past. Like, okay, well, think about it, but then there's still some room that's like, yeah, I, you're right on some things, but this thing definitely crosses into a future event. Now that got those that will, and I've done it myself, taught everything as it, this whole chapter as if it's in the future. But you can see that the question isn't about when's the future. The question is about when will the temple be destroyed. The, question, the answer is 70 A.D. The, the, this chapter begins, Jesus could have said, you know, they said, when, when will this take place? He could have said 70 A.D. And there's your answer. Next question, please. But instead, he talks about what it will be like up to those times, but then projects it further into the future. So you've got to look at the, the historical aspect of the Roman Wars but there's definitely crossing over into the future. And that's kind of where we're at tonight. We're looking at verses 15 through 27, so I'm going to read through this in the NIV just to see the text. And we'll come back to this chapter one more time next week, and then we'll be done with this chapter. It's kind of a fun chapter. Uh, chapter 13, um, I'll, I'll begin in verse 12, and this is talking about probably history in a general sense. Uh, possibly the early church and, and even the days leading up to the fall of Jerusalem in 70 A.D. Brother will betray brother to death and father, his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. All men will hate you because of me, but he who stands firm to the end will be saved. And that, again, that saved can't mean delivered from death because many of these people are going to die. That means you're going to face persecution in this age but be saved in the next age. Now, verse 14 when you see the abomination that causes desolation standing where it does not belong let the reader understand and we went through that verse uh then let those who are in judea flee to the mountains that right there is a direct quote a reference from daniel we we know this uh 
And the idea that says, let the reader understand, probably is as talking about a thing that he refers to as a man. So let the reader understand, that's what we're talking about. It's, it's going to be this thing, but it's also going to be a man. Now, when you see that, you're supposed to flee to Judea. Now, as we know, the Jews of, you know, after the Jewish wars began, you know, 66, 67, they're starting to march on Jerusalem by 68 A.D., the Christians began to leave. We know that from Eusebius's writings, earlier historians, uh, they went to Decapolis. And so that would be right here. When you see this take place, that could have been the Romans uh, coming. It could have been uh, the Zealots coming into the temple area. Or it could be a future event. So that's still hanging in the balance of are we, are we moving into the future or are we still talking about 70 A.D.? Uh, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. And they fled to the capitals. They fled across and went up to the mountains, uh, across from the Sea of Galilee. Let no one on the roof of his house go down or enter the house to take anything out. Let no one in the field go back to get his cloak. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Pray that this will not take place in winter because those will be the days of distress. And here's a key phrase, I think, right here unequaled from the beginning from the beginning when god created the world until now so from the beginning of creation until now which would be 30 a.d that includes the fall of jerusalem in 586 that includes the fall of samaria in 721 that includes the flood of noah these are going to be worse and so then the fall of jerusalem is going to be the worst thing in the history of the world or are we talking about something beyond the fall of jerusalem and i think Simply said, I think the fall of Jerusalem in 70 A.D. was a, a, a prototype of the disaster that was going to come on the world or is going to come on the world in the future. That's my understanding, my interpretation of it. But pray that this will not take place, you're fleeing, in the winter because those will be the days of distress unequaled from the beginning when God created the world until now and never to be equaled again. If the Lord had not cut short those days, no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect, now three times, Mark, and this is the only place he mentions it, the, the elect are going to be mentioned here. Three times in the rest of this chapter, or the, the next part we're looking at today, is going to refer to uh, the elect. But here it is. If the Lord had not cut short those days, so there's going to be a, a time period that's going to be cut short, no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect, whom he has chosen... He has shortened them. And again, I, I will go back and look at this, but I think this uh, will not survive. Some translations say no one would be saved uh, for the sake of the elect or survive. Now, if it, with the idea that he's talking to the elect, the elect are already saved spiritually. They're already part of the kingdom of God. So if they perish, they're still saved. So it, as I look at this, some translations they tried, are we talking about physical deliverance or are we talking about spiritual deliverance? I think this has to be talking about if those days had not been cut short, no one would have been saved. It's like, well, now there people get saved if they, the time is cut short. But I think we're talking there about human extinction. I mean, there would be no physical life left if, if he had not intervened. And we'll talk about that when we get there. And Revelation paints that exact picture. 
if the Lord had not cut short those days, again, when I say these things, you don't have to agree. I'm teaching kind of, and I'm kind of bouncing around in my head different ideas. So you don't have to say, oh, well, I disagree with that. Galen's a heretic. Just disagree with me and, and write, you know, go your own way. You don't have to leave. Just you can do, you're free to disagree because <laughs> I, I may change my mind, you know. These are not like, really, the, if anything on this, if anything comes out of this as far as being crucial, dogmatic, uh, besides the fact that Jesus is coming back and physically returning, uh, even in the sense of a physical kingdom on earth or a spiritual kingdom, I, I think it's going to be a physical kingdom, but I think, you know, you could go the other way. It's just going to be delivered into a spiritual realm. I don't think that's right, but you're still on track, you know. Jesus is coming back. I mean, you, you've got to go with that. But when we look at this, the, the thing that, that as far as our, uh, pertaining to our life as Christians today is this is by no means secret information that you're trying to create a chart and be able to predict when he's coming back this is more preparing you to be the the person you should be as a believer in history as you wait for this event our hope is that he is going to return our hope is not that we guess the date i mean it's like your whole life is spent living for christ knowing that he is going to intervene in history that we are going to go into the kingdom age and it's going to be all under his control that's the message the message is not like, well, I think it's going to be 1948 or 1974 or 19. It's like it, that, that's you're you're missing the whole mark because what are you going to do with that information? I'm just I'm going to stop working. I'm going to stop being a Christian. It's like it doesn't matter when it happens. The ideal is that it's going to happen, and your hope is in that. So keep that in mind. If the Lord not cut short those days, no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect whom He has chosen, He has shortened them at that time. If anyone says to you, look, here's the Christ, or look, there he is, do not believe it. Now, what's interesting, earlier, we already read this portion before, earlier in here, uh, verse 6, or verse 5, many, watch out that no one will deceive you, many will come in my name claiming I am he, and will deceive many. Now, that's talking about the Jewish wars, or leading up to the Jewish wars, and there was many messiahs that led them into the revolt against Rome. They thought God was going to come deliver them. He says, that, when they do that, that's a clear sign it's not the end. The end is not yet. When you hear people saying, I'm the Messiah, follow me against Rome, that's not the end. That's the Jewish wars. Now we read on into this chapter, just a few verses, but in our case, a few weeks later, he says the same thing. He says, at that time, if anyone says to you, look, here's the Christ. You see that? Before he says, many will say, I'm Christ, don't believe him. Now he says, if anyone says, look, here's the Christ, or look, there he is, do not believe it, but it's a different setting. This is now the eschatological setting. For false Christs and false prophets will appear and perform signs and miracles to deceive the elect, another mention of the elect, if that were possible, which is kind of a nice verse. It's not possible because they're protected. So, so be on guard. We'll look at that when we get there. I have told you everything ahead of time. So I'm telling you there's going to be people come, and that's not me. Don't, don't be deceived. If it's the Jewish wars, he said that before, that's not the sign of the end. But now we're talking about even in the end, there's going to be people come and say they're me, and it's going to be very convincing, especially when we read along into Paul's writings in 1 Thessalonians when he talks about the great delusion, and the great delusion is going to come, and if you're not following Christ, you're going to go for the, it's almost like guaranteed, if you've rejected the truth, you're going to go for the delusion. And he says right here, I've told you ahead of time, so you're, you're ready for this. 
Verse 24, but in those days, following that distress, in those days following, there's been a time of distress, not just history, but a time of, of persecution, of hardship, of what we call the tribulation. Now, very clearly, if you haven't switched over into eschatology yet, in your reality, we're still talking about 780, we're still talking about history. I think you have to switch right here. But in those days, following that distress, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from the sky, and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. Again, I'll, I'll give you some references when we go through the notes. That's all Old Testament quotes. He's, he's just taking like a, 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 a collection of Old Testament eschatological references and putting them all together. And each of those is surrounded by more text. Like he takes one verse about the sun and moon. You go back and read that. It's surrounded by eschatological text. He takes another verse about the heavenly bodies. You go back and look at it. It's surrounded by text of, of the end times. So right here, he's definitely switching in. So this is what's going to take place. And then verse 26 at that time, men will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And that is right out of Daniel. The, 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 uh, the one like the Son of Man will appear and be ushered into the presence of, of uh, the Ancient One, the, you know, the Lord, the God. Um, I mean, you've got the Son and you've got the, the Father there. Um, what's interesting about this is uh, that men will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory, is that this has to take and set this with the Son of Man being Jesus Christ. Because throughout this book of Mark, Jesus refers to himself as what? The Son of Man. And now all of a sudden, you will see the Son of Man. Well, Jesus could just as well say, he's like, well, who? In the book of Mark, if you're reading the book of Mark in context, you can't say, well, well who is this Son of Man? Well, if you've been reading the book of Mark, the Son of Man is Jesus. So you could just as well say, at that time, you'll see me coming in clouds of glory. I mean, it's like, it, it's not, it, you can't be confused. Like, is he the Messiah? Is that the Messiah? Well, when the Messiah comes, it's going to be real obvious, and I'm the only one that's going to be able to do it. In fact, the signs, the other false Christ, and he talks about they'll perform signs and wonders, but they're not going to do this kind of stuff. I mean, the, the heavens are shaken, the earth is shaken, catastrophic events. I mean, the universe is changing, being altered, and he's appearing in the clouds. It's like, try that as a false messiah. I mean, it's clearly no, 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 and then this happens. It's a clear break. And he will send his angels to gather his elect, the third mention of the elect, from the four winds from the ends of the earth to the ends of the heaven. Now, what's interesting right there is that's a combination of three, again, three different verses of, of them being gathered. Notice it says, from, from the heavens, from the earth, they're all being collected for some future event. And then we'll be, pick this up next week. Now learn a lesson from the fig tree. And again, as soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Even so, when you see these things happening, you know that it is, is near right at the door. I tell you the truth, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. And it's worth pointing out right there as we go by that, is it's one of the first things I'm going to put, point out there on the notes, is he talks about these things... Now, again, you don't have to agree with this, but it seems to be kind of a code. And then those days. And this clearly, a reference to those days, is end times in the Old Testament. Uh, 
that that time in those days, whenever the prophecy, in those days, we're talking eschatological. He's not talking about sometime next week or sometime during the next king's reign or Nebuchadnezzar, this is going to happen in your lifetime. In those days, that's in the distant future, that's eschatological. But when you see in this chapter these things, it tends to seem like these are going to be historical events or early church, or 66 to 70 A.D., the Jewish wars. These things are things you'll see. This generation won't pass away until you see these things. But he doesn't say this generation will not pass away until those days. I mean, this is, in in the literature, this is a clear break. Now, you, you can watch that as we go through this. When he talks about these things, he's talking about specific events these disciples will see. In, in, or at least in history, it's going to be coming up. But when he says those days, he's now moving into Old Testament prophecies. Uh, you can see these things, but never see those days is kind of the idea there. And that's a clear distinction that I think Mark makes. And you can be the judge of that as you look through that. And again, you've got different translations as you go through. Here. Now, that's uh, that in, as we read this, when it talks talking about now learn a lesson from the fig tree. He starts about these things. That seems to go back to this, the earlier section where he's talking about 66 to 70 AD, the events that are going to transpire with the fall of Jerusalem and not one building or one stone being left upon another. In other words, when you see these things, there's not be one stone left upon another. But yet, look in verse 32. We'll get into this next week. No one knows about that day or hour, not even the angels. Now he starts talking about the eschatological thing. So I think in the balance, we've got two things, 70 AD when the temple will be destroyed and then the eschatological events. And I think right here with your notes uh, on page one, chapter 13, verse 14 at the top from what I just left that, I took all the notes out and just left that verse that we focused on the last two times. Uh, This could be the switching point, verse 14, of going from 60 to 70 70 A.D., 66 to 70 A.D., to now talking about the future. When you see, but when you see the abomination of desolation standing where he ought not to stand, and notice you can see right there, we've mentioned before, when you see the thing, the abomination, standing where he, the man, ought not to be, then parentheses, let the reader understand, that doesn't match, but that's the way it is. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Now, going back to 66 to 70 A.D., that could have been the Romans circling Jerusalem. That could have been the zealots taking over the Temple Mount, putting in their own high priest. When you see, and it, would, it would be true. When you see the zealots removing the high priest and putting their own man in the priesthood, then understand, that's the abomination, that's him. Get out of town, run. And the Christians did. They ran. Uh, we saw this, again, not to be redundant, but we saw this verse already fulfilled in the solution time with the, with the Maccabean Revolt. We can say it was fulfilled again with the zealots taking the Temple Mount, putting their own priest in. But this, I think, is clearly talking about, or we're making, it's a hinge, starting to switch into, it's going to happen again a third time in fulfillment. Uh, and then it says, that you're going to flee uh, Judea uh, to the mountains. Now, here's the, here's the way you'd flee. Again, this is just uh, if it's going to be 66 to 70 A.D. or it's going to be the end times. And again, if it happened, I will say this. If it happened historically, good. I hope you use this information. But it's going to happen again. You're going to want to use this information 
again when it's coming in the future. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down nor enter his house to take anything out. Uh, and let no one who is left in the field not turn back to take his cloak. Now, I just put this down. Just I got references. You know, the housetops in those days. And there's examples. There's your house. They'd have, a, you know, come. They maybe have like even a, a, a row of walls and have an open foyer here where they'd have like their fire pit or something like that. Maybe do their cooking out here. They'd sleep here. They'd maybe have stairs going up, you know, maybe another floor or another. Here, let's just do it this way. Set of stairs coming up and going up onto the roof right here. And there'd be a railing around it like this or whatever. But this was used by, uh, uh, on, on hot days, uh, sleeping up here. Uh, they would have, have places to meet up there. They would have conversations. You sit there in the cool of the day. Uh, Peter, well, I've got several verses written down there. Peter was praying there uh, when he saw the sheet let down from him, he went up on the roof of the house. I mean, you don't need to know this. I mean, you, I think you can figure it out. But, you know, when you ta- teach, especially children, you know, go up on the roof of the house. You got people standing on, like, peaks, you know, like, oh, what, what are you doing on the roof of the house? Well, this was like the deck. This is like outside. And so I uh, got that. I think something's written down. There, right? It's the roofs in Israel and the Middle East are flat and served as an extra room, especially in evenings to sleep, First Samuel 9. These roofs are also used to dry produce. You see that uh, with the Rahab uh, uh, on, in Joshua chapter 2 to talk and to pray. Acts chapter 10 verse 9. It was a place to get away. So when you see this take place, you do not have time to, to go up on your rooftop uh, maybe to get something or to, to see what's going on. Uh, if you're on the housetop, uh, let no one who is on the housetop not go down nor enter his house to take anything. So if you're on your housetop, take the outside stairway and start running for the gates of the city, if it be, you know, 68 A.D. Uh, if it's in the future, you're going to want to get out and get to uh, Arabia or Saudi Arabia to get away from where the Antichrist can control. Uh, and let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. The idea there, maybe you get your cloak at the edge of the field. Maybe your clothes are in the city, wherever it is. It's like if you're in the field working, just you, you're going to escape with your life. Run. If you're in, in the house, run. If you're in the field, run. Uh, because things are happening very fast. And alas, again, this, that's talking about the fleeing. Again, Right here, this we're talking about 68 A.D. when they're fleeing. The church is fleeing, especially when he talks about the elect fleeing because that would be the church. Or if it's going to be in the future, the Jews who have seen the Son of Man, they've seen the one they pierced, and they realize it's time to go, they're going to start taking action. Then verse 17, and alas for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days. I mean, if you, if you don't have time to get your coat, you don't have time to go upstairs and, you know, shut off the stove or something. Uh, it's like, oh, you got a baby. Oh, well, sorry about that. That's going to make life difficult. Or if you're pregnant. Uh, it's just interesting, though. For me, it's always intrigued me, and maybe I haven't figured out the answer, is like, and then the next verse especially, pray that it may not happen in winter. Well, Jesus is talking here. Pray that it, well, is it going to happen in winter? I'm just telling you, pray that it don't. Well, your Lord, is it? It's like, because if it's, okay, yes, it's going to happen in the winter. Then why would I pray it not happen in the winter? It's like, well, it's no, it's going to happen in the spring. Why would I pray that it not happen? It's like, it, you just see that, 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 that mystery again, or that tension, at least I feel the tension, 
is like pray that it doesn't happen in the winter. I mean, we're talking about this is going to happen, and this is going to happen, and this is going to happen. And that we're going from point A to point B, and then this, and then this, and then this is going to happen. Jesus returns. You are right here at point B. Now, pray that point C happens down here, and it's really point E. It's like, what? Or that's not quite as drastic as it is, but it's like, this C, it could take place in the spring. It could play, take place in the winter. Uh, I would encourage you to pray that this is not it, that it, it happens up here. Well, then how, you know, it's established. It's, it's, it's a decree of God, but yet you see that there's some flexibility in there, which, again, that's part of the mystery, which now opens, I mean, if you want a little motivational speech, that opens up the area of prayer. I mean, God is going to do what God does. But you can pray about when this flight happens. You can pray about when these events, when the abomination sets itself up. You can pray about that. We can change today if you want to. It's like, so there's just that, the power, if he can say it that way, the authority that he's given to the believer or the person of, of your being able to pray. And we're talking about not just your own personal life, but we're talking about history an event that appears, in my mind, it's, it's already happened. We're just waiting for it to get here. And then Jesus said, oh, I'll pray that it's, it happens in the summer or the spring and not the winter. And again, I may, be, I may be too ignorant to wrap my mind around what's really being said there, but on the surface reading, it just seems like he's opening up the, the, uh, I don't know, the power of prayer, the authority that prayer has in affecting things. Now, the reason for winter, and it's this, obvious in many ways but just point out winter was a time of of the heavy rains they'd have the 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 rains the later rains and the early rains and the wadis that were dry whenever we were there in june we were in israel in june and july and the riverbeds in most cases were were dry we could walk through them and climb the cliffs um but in the winter the all the water that comes down they they it runs quickly into these dry riverbeds the wadis and it becomes a riverbed you know the song uh america song i've been through the desert with a horse with no name you know and the the desert the river was dry you know that song that's what it's talking about uh, i'm not gonna sing the whole song for you and if you don't know it look it up and it's not even important uh but when we were driving through the desert one time uh that was on the they were playing it on the radio i've been through the desert on a horn we're driving through the uh, the, the negev and listening to that song by america okay okay get back to the topic here but the wadis would fill up uh and it would be hard to flee the city because you may have water in the kidron valley and then everywhere you go every wadi would be a rushing river and you couldn't cross the jordan i mean you would not be able you know unless you're going to have some kind of equipment you're not going to be able to flee from israel into jordan during the winter you're you're stuck you got to wait until spring to cross the jordan so if anything it's not like when we think about winter you know things are frozen and it's cold it, it gets colder but it's more like everything is just the wadis are full of water and it's gonna be hard to flee and get away but jesus says pray that it may not happen in the winter and now verse chapter 13 verse 19 for in those days there will be such tribulation and again this for me ends the debate of what is he talking about as has not been from the beginning of the creation that God created until now and never will be again. Now, I, I think we're safe to assume he, they're, they're talking about 70 A.D. When will these buildings be destroyed? 70 A.D. It's going to be terrible times. They're even going to be trapped in the city. 
uh, Titus went ahead and one, one year says, yeah, I'll let you guys all go in and celebrate Passover. And then they got in the city. He wouldn't let them out. And so the city becomes a trap. And they ended up, you know, starving them out. They just wouldn't let any food go in. And their cannibalism took place. I mean, it was just, and when the Romans were coming, they were, they were walking on bodies because they killed so many people. They couldn't get out. They just slaughtered people. So this was a terrible time. And I, but I would say it was a, 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 a type of the end that Jesus is talking about here where uh, this is going to be very serious, the eschatological end. This was the end of the Jewish nation in 70 AD. But what's going to take place again, a double meaning, is this is going to be a time, this is unequal from anything from the beginning until now, and then anything that happens after. It can't be any worse than this. And again, 70 AD, I've said it before, 70 AD was bad, especially if you're in the city, but it was nothing compared to what's going to take place here because this did not dwarf the destruction of Samaria or the destruction of name another city or the flood of Noah. So I think this is very clearly, I think, this is talking about something yet in the future. For in those days there will be such tribulation as not been from the beginning of the creation that God created until now and never will be. Now, uh, there I put that, that next point under this verse. I've re- that's where I wrote these things in those days. I referred to that earlier. The distinction between events from early church or general time or the Jewish wars would be these things, but then those days refer to eschatological events, and you can see that in verse 17, 19, 20, and 24, and there's a little more distinction. For example, Daniel, at that time, Jan- Daniel chapter 12 shall arise Michael the great prince, talking about the end. There it's translated that time. And in Joel, even on male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit. And again, those days are eschatological days. Even Peter refers to it as this verse says, these are those days. He goes, the Christ had come, he'd been resurrected and ascended to heaven. And that began a series of events that were in a sense eschatological and the church began now how long the church is going to bring the message of grace to the world that's that's what's going to determine how long this goes but that was the beginning of those days and nothing really has happened except the spirit has come the church began and we're waiting for the church then you know we would say be raptured and removed and going to the next phase chapter 13 verse 20 and if the lord had not cut short the days, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect whom he chose, he shortened the days. There's another reference to the elect. Because of the elect, and the elect are described as the elect are those that he's chosen. And it was really taking place here, many things are taking place in this verse, but a transition is happening. I, 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 we're not going down the road of Calvinism and, and trying to build it. Well, the elect, the chosen. Uh, Israel had been the chosen, right? Uh, And that's where it says, Jacob I've loved, Esau I've hated. Because Israel has the covenant, the covenant of love, which is, they've got a covenant. Esau was a Gentile nation and did not have it. But this covenant was with Israel. Now we know, just from reading the Bible, not every Israelite was what we'd say saved, or a person of God, or a believer. 
uh, many of them would perish. Even Jesus referred to them. Many of them, are, they're not going to qualify. So even Israel was chosen, but to be in this chosen group, you would have to be a believer. You'd have to be saved. You'd have to have, to have the faith of Abraham. Now, what's taking place here with this use of elect, he is switching this elect now, is going to be the church or the Christian and the, this just opens this up right here. This now just includes the world or the Gentile nations. The believing Israel at this point right here, if you're a believer, if you're like you're Paul, you're Peter, you're James, you're an Israelite, but you're now joined this group. In fact, he, the people he's talking to here are Jewish, but he's going to be, ref- at this point, they switch to becoming this group called the church, the elect. And Israel can continue to be believers and say, but they're going to now become part of this universal group of the church. And that it says right here, uh, and if the Lord had not cut short those days, no human being would be saved, but for the sake of the elect whom he chose, he shortened the days. So right here, Israel, you had to be an individual believer in Israel. Now here in this group here, how do you get in? This would be the the elect, the chosen for the sake. How do you get in here? You're going to have to be saved. You're going to have to be a believer to be in this group, which makes this more like the predestination is those are in Christ. Now, do you want to be in Christ or not? So in other words, again, this is very sloppy, but the elect, the chosen are those who are in Christ. And by God's foreknowledge, he knows who's going to be in Christ. All right, here we go. This, um, you've got facts and you've got knowledge. Have I, have I said this to you yet? Has anybody said this to you? You've got facts and you've got knowledge. Now, what takes place first? What comes first? knowledge or fact in your life okay tony and i are married we got married in 19 boy i gotta get this right 81 all right we got married in 1981 that's a fact and so now in 2023 i can know this now if tony and i had not gotten married in 1981 and I met Tony today at High V, and I say, let's get married in 1981. I can't, that, what? You can't, you, you, you have to have, the fact has to have occurred for there to be knowledge. Who won the 1969 World Series? We all know, the Mets. The Mets won that, yeah, the, 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 yeah. you got to believe. They were their theme, you got to believe. Uh, that was a fact, and now we've got knowledge of it. Does that make sense? So anything I know has to already have happened. That would be knowledge. Now, here's a line. This is everything God created. This is eternity. This is outside. This is the creation. This is time. This is angels. This is matter. This is me. This is everything that God created is here, including time, angels, gravity, everything. This is the only thing outside of here is we'll just say God. 
the eternal God is outside of all this. Okay? In here, time is going to be... So if I'm going to know something, I know when I know who I married because back here it became a fact. I married somebody. But now let's take, uh, take my grandson, Tyler. And I was using this, I was explaining this to Tyler. He's, he's 11. He's like, hmm. I says, uh, I, I know this, but Tyler's going to get married someday in the future. Tyler's going to get married to someone, and I grabbed a name, you know, and, uh, and this right here is shielded from me. I can't know this because I live on this side of eternity. I live on this side of history. I can know facts but the facts have to have happened on this side of history simple are you ready simple tyler is going to marry fill in the blank on this day at this time right there i don't know that because i'm stuck in time i've got to wait until it becomes a fact but guess what up here this whole line is what fact god knows that fact so god now can know foreknowledge he knows this did god cause that well the, the, i i'm okay this is a bad example did i cause me to marry tony no i had no choice <laughs> no it's like no i mean it's like these facts Think of the fact that you just know this. I didn't cause, this is a bad example now because it would be my <laughs> wedding. Let's go, back to, uh, let's go back to the Beatles in 1963. Okay, I, 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 that's a fact. I know that fact, but I know it because it happened. I had no impact on it. The same, I'm not saying God is not powerful or sovereign, but this allows free will. I can know events. In fact, you're going to have, if you're going to have this, you're going to have to have God's foreknowledge is going to have to cause all the facts. And some would go with that. God knows in his mind, and he causes all these things to happen. Now, if you want to go that way, you can. But that's not the way. My knowledge is not causing events. Events are happening. They're facts, and I know the fact. That's the way it works with me. If it's the way it's going to work over here, God looking into time the way we live in time, it's going to be a fact Somewhere on this line that, that he knows it's going to take place, he knows it. So that's a little off subject. Does that make sense at all? Does that, did it, again, and I'm sure if there's a Calvinist watching online or if there's a Calvinist sitting in this room, they're freaking out right now saying, that's not the way it is. That's not it. And I, I dumbed it down too much. Okay, nonetheless, go back to chapter 13, verse 20. And if the Lord had not cut short these days, now cut short the days, there's going to be this period of time uh, if it be 66 to 70 A.D., or it's going to be the seven years, God is going to, this would be the historical setting, this would be the eschatological setting. God is going to cut short those days because if He doesn't cut short those days, here's what it says in the English Standard, no human being would be saved, but for the sake of the elect whom He chose... He shortened the days. So this event or this event is somehow shortened so that someone would be saved. Now, first of all, 
If it means saved for salvation, that doesn't fit with the elect, the ones he's chosen. I've got to shorten these days so there can be saved eternally. It's like, well, the fact that you're the elect means you're already saved. So it's got to be talking about some physical deliverance. But God is not promising physical deliverance from all this suffering. In fact, he's telling you, you're going to have to face a lot of hardships. What this, this is not talking about spiritual salvation. This is not talking about you being saved from the persecution. I think this is talking about if, if these days had not been cut short, no one would survive. There'd be no humans left. Think of the flood. If Noah had not put them on the ark, there'd be no one left. That's what we're talking about. We're not talking about no one will be saved spiritually because the elect is already saved. We're not talking about the elect not dying because the elect are going to die. They're going to suffer. We're talking about there'd be no human history would just stop. There'd be nothing left. When Jesus came back, there'd be, there'd be no Israel, no Jews to save. Everybody was just dead. And uh, that's what we're talking about. Here, here's, the, here's the application. Very quickly, just interesting fact. This is probably a waste of time. But talking about 66 to 70 A.D., the elect are the church. In this case right here, in, in, in this reference. The elect is no longer Israel. It's the believers in Christ. They're the chosen. So during 66 to 70 A.D., the elect are the church. God is going to shorten those days for the sake of the elect, if we make this application. This is just fun to do. So, General Vespasian, uh, Nero died on June 9th, 68 AD. Nero dies. Nero is the emperor. We're going to go down here very quickly. You've got Nero. It's June 9th, 68 AD. Nero actually kills himself, stabbed himself in the throat because the Praetorian Guard's hunting him down and he's hiding in a restaurant somewhere. And he's like, ah, I just killed himself. Okay, because he's become crazy. Um, now, Vespasian was his general sent to Jerusalem right there. So Vespasian has been sent to Jerusalem by Nero to plunder the temple. When Nero dies, there's going to be one, two, three other people. And there, here's their names very quickly. One is going to be Gelba. And this is just a waste of time. Otho and Vitalis. Okay, Gelba is going to replace him. He goes from June 8th until January 15th, 69 AD. And then he's killed. Otho begins on January 15th, 69 AD. And he goes until April 16th uh, of 69 AD. And then Vitalis goes from April and then is finally killed in December 20th. And uh, uh, um, by July 1st, uh, 69 AD, Vespasian has been declared emperor. So right here, there, there's a little bit of a civil war struggle and he's, he's eliminated. So these three emperors, this is less than 30. Nero dies. Vespasian is in Jerusalem leading a war for Nero. And 13 months later, he's the emperor. Less than 13 months later, he's on the throne. So these guys are going to, one, two, three, are going to come, go, they're just going to be eliminated. Vespasian, as soon as Nero dies in 68 AD, he realizes what's at stake. He realizes the emperor's gone. He's one of the leading generals who's running the country. He's got some political adversaries, especially the Syrian uh, uh, 
the governor of Syria, he, he puts a halt. He stops the Jewish wars. They're 68 A.D., 66 to 70 A.D. They've been marching through Judea, Galilee, Judea. They're, they're outside Jerusalem, and Nero's dead. Stop. Now, there's been other things happening where the emperor had said, go do something, and when the emperor, like Caligula, got, was assassinated, they never took the eagle into the temple. They just stopped. It's like, we're not going to do that. There's been other cases like that. Here, they stop the siege, and Vespasian starts making political connections because he envisions himself eventually becoming the emperor. So in, in a matter of these guys, he doesn't make it, he doesn't make it. The whole time Vespasian's positioning himself, has gone to Egypt and now is marching on Jerusalem. And so Vespasian, to set up the Flavian, or the Flavian, Flavian, Domi, uh, 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 Vespasian, Titus' his son, Domitian's son, to set up the Flavian dynasty, Vespasian is all of a sudden, on June 9th, 68 AD, no longer concerned about Jerusalem, He's concerned about establishing the Flavian dynasty, and he then begins to make his move, making political connections, and then moves on into Rome, and it does work just like that. Hands is the military, oh, once he gets established, hands the, it's already handed over to Titus. He's established on the throne, Titus, finished the work, and Titus at some point then resumes the battle, but there was a break right here. This, some people say, the days were cut short, so the elect could survive and that's if the church hadn't already fled they're fleeing because right about this time the zealots are going into the temple mound the abomination of desolation the the, the the priest they put in position they're killing people there's criminals running the place ah vespasian backs off they're more concerned about establishing their dynasty and and taking over rome than they are about jerusalem people are fleeing they saw the abomination there's a time of reprieve and, and then anyone that doesn't flee, they face the destruction. That would be, again, an interesting fulfillment. I don't think that's the fullness of this. But understand, you see how that worked. Just keep that in your mind. Uh, because the same thing is going to be repeated eschatologically. So that's kind of how the days were cut short there, or what took place, if that's a correct interpretation. That's all point one right there. That phrase, uh, no human being would be saved, in the Eng- that's point two now, in the English Standard Version, just, just hear the wording, no human being would be saved. NIV, no one would survive. Now I think, I'm, I lean more towards that, no one is going to survive history. Uh, we're not talking about eternal salvation, we're not talking about not being killed or martyred, because you're going to die, you're going to be martyred. We're talking about human history, I'm going to show you this. Uh, Another interpretation to King James, no flesh would be saved, and New American Standard, no life would have been saved. So those are the translations about why those days were cut short. I don't think it's salvation. I don't think it's avoiding martyrdom. I think it's the survival of the human race. And that leads me to this next point, uh, point C. Just you, you know Revelation. You know the, uh, the, the now I can't do all of them here, but the seven seals which I do not think are the wrath of God. I think that's human history being broken loose. It's all in the scroll. Each time a human history is released, an event takes place. And then you're going to have the seven uh, uh, trumpets. This now is the wrath of God. It says the wrath of God after the sixth seal, the wrath of God begins, and then the seven bowls. And these, these the seven seals affect humanity even believers are suffering during the seals 
uh, if you pre-trib or mid-trib or post-trib, you still got believers suffering from the seals. I, I'm going to put the Christians there, the church there yet, and then that's when people start arguing with me. Uh, but that's to be said. This right here, the trumpets and the bowls are being poured out on the inhabitants of the earth. This is the wrath of God. We will not suffer the wrath of God. We are going to be removed here. Now, if you're pre-trib, you're going to be removed here. I'm going to say you're removed here before this takes place. You will not face the wrath of God. Now, what takes place here? These days, are, and there's also going to be seven thunders. Remember the seven thunders that are mentioned there? John hears the seven thunders, began to write it down. Now, again, this is just speculation. And God says, don't write that down. Why? Is it a secret? Oh, yeah, we're going to cut that part out. Is the seven thunders, if he, had, if he had released the seven thunders, would that finish mankind off? Again, I'm, I'm, I'm just reading the verse. The, the verse just says this. Uh, and if the Lord had not cut short those days, if you want to go 6880, go for that. I'm talking about end times. No human being would be saved. Uh, or people are going to be saved all the way through history. That must be survived. No humans will survive. It'll be worse than the flood. But for the sake of the elect whom he chose, he shortened the days. Jesus says some days have been... Okay, are we talking about going from a 24-hour day to a 20-hour day? That's going to, the light is going to be reduced. Is that what's going to happen? Or are we talking about the time period? Okay. I, I'm suggesting... I'm, I'm, I'm just studying... Is he talking about, sure, anyway, I'm going to get rid of these seven thunders because if I have the seven thunders, yeah, no one's, going to, no one's going to make it through the seven thunders. Why? Because look at what's going to take place here. And here I've got it written down. Just, this is not every one of the seals, trumpets, and bulls, just the ones that kind of leave a bite right here. The fourth seal, one-fourth of the earth is killed by sword, famine, plague, or wild beast. So just imagine, remember the devastation we faced with COVID. I mean, how, what was that, like half of the population of the earth died? I mean, how many people died? It was like just, oh, there's hardly any life left on the planet after COVID. This would be even worse than COVID. Uh, but anyway, one-fourth of the earth, and there's, there's plague. It's sword, famine, COVID, and wild beasts listed right there. So you're going to have whatever you've got for population, you're going to lose 25% of the population right here, just the opening of the seals. Now comes the first trumpet. One-third of the earth and trees burn up and all the green grass. So a third of the earth and all the uh, tree, or a third of the trees are gone and all the grass. Now you talk about environmentalists. You talk about, uh, Tyler and I were talking the other day, we were talking about, you know, mosquitoes and, and bugs. And, and he always reads these fact books, you know, and he's always giving me all this information. And he was talking about, you know, what would be the repercussions if, if all the mosquitoes died? Well, then some of the birds wouldn't have food, and then the birds died, and he's got this, this chain reaction, uh, you know. Well, you understand the idea. I mean, if, for example, if one-third of the trees and the earth are burned up and all the green grass is gone on the earth, that's going to leave a mark. I mean, it's gonna, your, your crops, your food, and that's this first, this, this, this trumpet. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking these right here are in the last three and a half years, maybe even the last three years. I mean, we're, we're pushing toward, this is not the first part. This is the second half. Somewhere in there, they begin to take place, I think. And that's after the church is gone, if you're pre-trib or if you're mid-trib. The second trump, trumpet, a third of the sea turns to blood and a third of the sea creatures die. So everything in the sea, a third of it is dead. 
the third trumpet, a third of the drinkable water turns bitter and many people die. So you've lost a third of your drinkable water on the earth. The fourth trumpet, you lose a third of the light. The moon, sun, and stars is gone. Now really, what that means, is it cloudy? Is it planet shift? Is it like solar blockage? Is it, I, I don't know. I mean, it's, that's going to have an effect on the, the little bit of grass that, uh, that is left or the, the little bit of the crops that are left. They've got less light. And then you've got to throw in all the, the other problems. Uh, then the sixth seal, one-third of mankind is killed by plagues, fire, and smoke, and sulfur. Do you see that right there? You've already lost a fourth of mankind. And now you're down, you've only got 75% left. And now you're going to take that 75% and reduce it by a third. So you put that together. By the time you get to the sixth trumpet, you've lost half of the earth's population between the fourth seal and the sixth trumpet. The second bowl that is poured out then, everything in the sea dies. Now watch this. By the time, see this, we're struggling. You're struggling right here at the trumpets. You've lost half the population is dead. You've lost uh, a third of the trees. You've lost a third of the light. You're losing, you lost a third of the sea creatures. I mean, crops, fish. I mean, then you got animals that are dying. That, that, and it's like, we can make it. We've got half the population left. We're losing some food, but we can pull this together. Okay, let's try the bowls. This will finish you off. The, uh, The third bowl, all drinkable water is gone. I mean, it's, there's no drinkable, you can't, there's no water left to drink. It's all polluted. The fourth bowl, the sun now is scorching people. You can't get a drink, but if you're outside or anywhere, the sun is going to scorch you, which you've got to assume some people are just being killed. They're dropping dead. And the seventh bowl, there's a worldwide earthquake. That means buildings are falling down in all the cities and the major city. Uh, and then 100-pound hailstones are crushing people. I mean, the very fact that you have no water, there's no drinkable water left, you've reduced it. I mean, I've said before when I'm teaching this, you've got to be down to about 30 days of human history. Otherwise, I mean, you're talking about human extinction right here. And that's that's with God. Is he going to cut some of this short? Is he going to cut some of this short? And that's not going to happen exactly the way he's going to go, oh, let's stop. Or does he already cut out the, the thunders? And again, it does that, I'm just saying that. Is that. Then now the seven thunders. Hit that with the seven thunders. And it's like, wait, there's no one here to hear the, hear the last five thunders. We've, we, everybody's dead. But nonetheless, he's going to cut short those days because if, if he doesn't cut it short, human, human history cannot endure the wrath of God. Uh, point three, Jerusalem's fall was a prototype of the final days. Uh, then it says, chapter 13, verse 21, and then if anyone says to you, look, here's the Christ, or look, there he is, do not believe it. This is the second time this has been said. Uh, if you look in point two, the warning sounds similar to the early warning in 13, verses 5 and 8, saying there'll be false messiahs. Now that was probably the Jewish wars. There's, you've got the each group, if it be the, the religious groups or the, the zealots, they all had messiahs that they were trusting that was prophesying things that God is going to deliver them. Jesus says, don't trust them. They're, they're, don't trust those. This is now taught, and, and he says, when you see that, the end is not yet. That's just the fall of Jerusalem. That is not the end. That's the fall of Jerusalem, but it's not the end. Now, later on in the very same chapter, he now says, 
And then you'll see, if anyone says, look, here's the Christ, or look, there he is, now we're talking eschatological. And this now is probably talking about the Antichrist and those events right there. So he says, do not believe it. Uh, for false Christ and false prophets will arise, perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible. Look, the elect. You got, you got the elect pop up again here. Now, these false Christs and false prophets, this will be part of the delusion. If it's possible to mislead the elect, it would take place. If you're not the elect, you're going to follow these false prophets. Um, and they'll have signs and wonders. Deuteronomy 13, 1 through 3, I've got it written down there. God warned about people, the prophets that would come and do signs and wonders. And they'll do a sign or wonder, he says. And you go, woo. And then they'll say, let's follow a different God. He says, I don't care what they did for a sign or wonder. Don't change your doctrine. And that's the basic principle right here. It's not the sign or wonder. You follow the truth. Now, if, you want, if there's a, true, a, a sign or wonder comes along to confirm the truth, that's fine, but we're not moving from the truth. But if all of a sudden someone does a sign or wonder, it's not, let's follow other gods, well, that's, that's a false prophet. So he, he gives a very clear indication there. Exodus chapter 7, verse 11, where the, uh, the magicians or the wise men of Pharaoh, they had the ability to, by their magic to do certain signs and wonders. Jesus saying, they'll perform signs and wonders. Now that's like, they'll do magic tricks and use AI to do amazing things. That, that, it says signs and wonders. They're going to do things that cannot, supernatural things that cannot be explained with artificial intelligence or some kind of robotics. It's like supernatural, just like the wise men uh, of, of Pharaoh did. Uh, uh, to lead astray if possible the elect. Watch this, uh, bottom page four, point B, 1 John 2, 26 through 27. He says, John writes, I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. He's, I'm pointing them out. They are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you receive from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. Now, again, he's not saying you don't need teaching. He's talking about the fact that you are my students. I've taught you the fullness of the gospel. This is the word of God. And now there's some people over here that are bringing something else in. You don't need anybody to teach you because you already know the truth. You've already got, in our case, you've already got the Bible. In John's case, he couldn't say you've got the Bible, but you've already got John's teaching. Then they come and say, ah, we've got something else. It's like, no. No, you don't need a guest speaker to teach you because you already know I've taught you everything about the gospel. That doesn't mean you can't continue to learn. Do you understand what I'm saying? This is the faith. This is the body of truth. They didn't have a Bible, but John would have says, I've taught you all this. If someone comes in and tries to deceive you, you don't need any teachers. You've already been taught what you need to know. He's an 85, 90-year-old man. I've already covered this, or my teachers have covered this. Someone comes and says, ah, did you know this? No, and I don't need to know that because it's not the truth. It'd be like someone comes and says, ah, I found another book of the Bible. So he, he's saying right there, but, but his anointing teaches us about everything, and he is true, and uh, just as it has taught you, abide in him. Then verse 13, verse 23 says, be on guard. I have told you things beforehand. And be on your guard. I've got that written down right there. Um, point two, stay on your guard is a translation of the Greek word. You can see it right above there. Blepete, which here means look at or pay attention. It's blepo, a form of blepo. It means I look, I see, I perceive, I discern. So you keep looking, keep, keep alert, keep looking. Uh, and he says, because he says right there, I have told you these things beforehand. So in other words, he gives you this information, this, this information right here, 
whatever he's explaining right here, he says, keep looking. Pay attention to this. I've told you beforehand. So when you see this happen, you go, ah, I'm not going to fall for it. He says, this is the trap. This is the offense you're going to run. Don't let it work. I've told you beforehand. And if you look right here, the next verse I've got written down there, um, on page 5, uh, at the top, number 1, John 13, 19, at the Last Supper, whether he's, he's praying for the disciples and explaining to them, he says, I am telling you this now. He's talking about his crucifixion. He's talking about what's going to happen after he leaves. I am telling you this now, before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. In other words, this is going to happen Here's where you're going to be. I've told you that. So when it does happen, you can go, okay. It's like, oh, so now I know it's going to No. So you know that you can believe in me. This whole thing was that you could focus on Jesus. He's telling you this beforehand. Why? So you can have a Bible study and create an eschatological chart and predict Jesus is coming back right there. No, no, I've told you things beforehand so you don't go here. You stay here and believe in me. They're going to do this. No. So, but, so when does that happen? It's not, it's not to pinpoint. It's so that you know I don't need to follow that. That is part of the deception. I've told you that ahead of time. Oh, boy, and we got to quit. Uh, but in those days, after the tribulation, the sun will be dark and the moon will be not give light. Uh, uh, and then, uh, and the stars will be falling from heaven, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And then you'll see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great glory, great power and glory. And then he will send out his angels and gather his elect from the four winds. And again, elect would be the church in context here, the believers, from the ends of the earth to the uh, hen- ends of the heavens. Now, what takes place right here, the, the, and I want to read this to you next week. You can read ahead. But I've got it underlined where it says, after that tribulation, the sun will be dark and the moon will not give its light. The next line, the stars will fall from the heaven. The powers of the heavens will be shaken. The Son of Man is coming in clouds with great power and glory. I've got it underlined in verses like Isaiah 13 or uh, uh, Isaiah 24, Daniel 7. But what's fun about that right there is you've got that phrase, Jesus takes it cuts and pastes it out of a, a, a part of Isaiah. But if you take that and follow it back to the context, it expands. He, he's just giving a little bit of details, but he's taking it right out of the Old Testament. But those, each of those references is surrounded by more eschatological information on what's taking place on the earth. But, you know, that, so he is definitely talking there, uh, right there, eschatological. He's talking about the end times. And then the kicker, then you'll see the sign, or you'll see the Son of Man. And Jesus always referred to himself as the Son of Man. He talked about the Son of Man, this, Son of Man, that. So the disciples, when he says the Son of Man coming in clouds, once again, he referred to him as the Son of Man. So when he says you'll see the Son of Man coming in the clouds, he could just as well have said, you will see me coming in the clouds. I mean, it's like, it's like, oh, that's a stretch. It's not a stretch because he calls himself the Son of Man. And then you'll see the Son of Man coming in the clouds. It's like, you? Exactly. I mean, it's like, who, what do you think's going on here? And so Jesus is painting, painting the picture. We'll pick that up next week. I really thought we'd get through that. But, of course, we didn't. I'm going to pray, and we are done. Father, we do thank you for the chance to look into these things. We do ask that we would be people that would be faithful, that we'd be diligent and obedient to your word. 
uh, not just looking for the end time and looking for some magical deliverance, but able to be empowered with supernatural strength by your spirit to do the things you've called us to do at this time in history, that we may be your faithful, that we can serve you as the elect, trusting you that you are coming back, that history will have a victorious ending. But Father, we also ask again that we may be able to share the gospel and the good news with others, that we may have the hope in our lives shared in the lives of others. Again, we thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thank you for being here.